Good morning. If uh, I haven't met you yet, my name is Keith. I'm one of the pastors here at Incarnation. And if you've got a Bible with you, um, go ahead and open to chapter 11 and 12 of Matthew. The passage of the gospel that we just heard is the one that we're going to spend most of our time on today. Um, Before we get to that uh, confession, I wish, I think I would, I feel like uh, if I was a better person, I would like camping. You know, it seems like, it seems like when people say, yeah, my wife and I are going camping or we're going to take all the kids camping. Um, I just do not understand. And, and the reason, so I like the outdoors a lot. I like fire. I like campfire. I like cooking on fire. I like all that stuff. But I hate the sleep. I mean, I hate being on rocks or... Uh, whatever, I just can't. And the noise, and then the, the sun comes up, and it's right in your... It just seems like any time I've been camping, I've gotten the worst sleep. And then you have to get up the next day and do all this stuff. You have to get up and cook breakfast for people, or go on a hike, or break down a tent and carry it, you know, for miles, or whatever. It just doesn't... I, I need... If you're good at camping, and you can help me hack some of these fails, um, I would love to learn how to camp. But I think the problem with me is that camping is just not restful. All these things that I love, I love fire. And I think of a campfire in my, or a bonfire in my back, backyard, and that is so restful. Or being on a hike out in the woods, that's restful. Um, whatever. But I don't think of camping as restful. And it's because of the rocks and the roots, mostly. If some of those rocks and roots could get taken out of the equation, I think I would like it more. As we look at chapter 11 and 12 of Matthew, this whole thing is about rest. Jesus is being presented, this is the crux of Matthew's gospel, or it's a really key hinge in Matthew's gospel. It summarizes and and makes really clear what's been happening for these first 10 chapters, and it so it kind of cinches Act 1 of Matthew, and then it sets the stage for Act 2 of Matthew that starts in the next chapter. It's in the middle of the book, and the central theme is anchored here, and it's rest. Specifically, it's Jesus. Somehow, whoever Jesus is, and whatever God thinks of him, whether he's telling the truth or not, He's being put forward in the whole book and very clearly here in chapters 11 and 12 as this locus of all of God's rest. And he's being presented to people who, if they they know they need rest, they're going to hear him. If they identify as weary and heavy laden, or as our catechism says, states, distracted and uh, selfish and disordered, um, smoldering reeds and, uh, or bruised reeds and smoldering wicks. If we can identify with some of that weakness and some of that frailty and some of that compromise and some of that agitation, some of those rocks and roots that are always under us that keep us from rest, And Jesus comes on the scene as he has, and Matthew presents him to us this way. If we can believe 
even with a a shred of belief, even through a, a smog of doubt that Jesus is who he says he is, then we can get closer to receiving this rest that God is holding out for us and holding out for the world. We're going to see some wonderful things in here as we look at this particular paragraph which occurs right in the middle of these two chapters which are these these really important chapters and right here in the middle as we'll see is the longest Old Testament quote that Matthew uses and that's really important and we're going to see that in a moment but this key theme is what we're going to look at and and what Matthew brings to a head in the middle of of this section this hinge The question that Matthew has been raising, that Jesus has been raising since the beginning of chapter 11 is this question, is Jesus really the Messiah? Is he or isn't he? It can only be one or the other. Is he or isn't he? That's how it starts. Remember with John the Baptist who's heard of all the things that the Christ is doing. And so he sends disciples of his own to to find Jesus and say, are you the one who is to come? Or should we wait for someone else? Are you the promised one? If, if Jesus is, then that means God is inviting us into himself for healing and for whole, wholeness and for rest and for shalom. And remember how this question, before we get to chapter 11, even in chapter 2, how, how this question is being played out. Um, before Jesus could even walk or talk before he was baptized, before he called disciples, before he taught the Sermon on the Mount, before he healed all those people in chapters 8 and 9, before any of that stuff happened, when he was just a baby, we see this, we see Jesus as this fault line, right, where, where everything either runs, runs in one direction or the other. We see these magi, these kings, who come from the other side of the world, and they travel this great distance, and they don't rest They don't rest until they're laying down in front of Jesus, opening up to him everything that they've brought. That's when they rest. They find the deepest shalom that they've ever known in front of this baby. That's one way that the grain runs. And the other way that the grain runs is we see in direct contrast to that and and all interwoven into that story, Herod, before Jesus has done anything, He's just been born, and Herod didn't even know that until he learned it from these kings. Herod, on the other hand, we see a different kind of rest because we rest in what we worship. And we see these kings going away, rejoicing with great joy and delighted, and like they've been set free. Like the, the weight of the world has been taken off their back, and they finally know who they are and why they're here and whatever. Something's happened to them that's set them off. Herod, on the other hand, is we see it as this kind of paranoid, wringing his hands, and he won't be able to rest until this Jesus is eradicated from the world. Whatever it takes, kill all the babies, I don't care. Just get rid of this person because he's threatening my sense of autonomy. He's threatening my sense of self or my sense of independence. So that stark contrast is showing us through these two different vignettes, these two different kinds of response that we rest in what we worship. However good or bad that rest is, it's true. 
And the quality of our rests reflects directly upon the thing that we have set our worship on, our hope on, our identity on. St. Augustine, I'm sure you've heard this quote. We have it hanging up in our, over our fireplace. It's, uh, he says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. So that's the theme of these two chapters is rest. Jesus is here, and the question is, is he here to um, strip us of our humanity, or is he here to fully restore us to who we were created to be, to make us whole, and to bring us the deepest rest and the deepest peace that we could have ever imagined? Is he here to bring you beautiful, perfect rest? So that's what we see as we open up chapter 11. And the reason that I'm going back and covering some of this stuff is because if we don't do some of this work at the beginning, this quote from Isaiah just kind of plops down in the middle and you don't really understand what it's about, but it's absolutely connected with arteries to all that's happened beginning in chapter 11 and what's going to happen right afterwards. And so so forgive uh, the the time that we're spending here backtracking. I'm not stalling. Jesus presents himself to us through his words and deeds in chapters 1, uh, or 11, 1 to 12, 14. He's been doing that with his words and deeds since chapter 5 when he began the Sermon on the Mount that goes for three chapters and then he heals people, all kinds of different things and does all these miracles in the next two chapters. And then we come here and he's identifying himself. He's identifying himself. He's doing it gently but he's doing it in no uncertain terms. And it's just kind of this thing that keeps happening. It's like this tight cycle where Jesus reveals himself a little bit and then he invites us closer. And he reveals himself a little bit more and he invites us a little bit closer. He's not doing this all at once. He's not doing this in, a, in, a, uh, in, a, in an obnoxious way or in an impatient way. He's doing it in such a gentle, wonderful, kind way. He presents himself, he, he says in verse 2, essentially, um, we, we learn that he is indeed the Christ. He is the one who is to come. That's the question that John the Baptist asks. And then Jesus gently says, well, what do you think? What do you hear? What do you see? You've heard me talk. You've heard me say things. You've seen the miracles that I've done. Do you think that I'm bringing people closer to rest and closer to life Or do you think that I'm dismantling their humanity? Jesus says, if you receive me, and if you're not offended by me, you'll be blessed. You'll be happy. That's what that word blessed means. You'll be whole. You'll have shalom. The closer you get to me, the more of those things you'll experience. If you have ears to hear, hear. He says that wisdom is justified by her deeds. Look at these people around me. Do you see them as happier and more whole as they get closer to me? What about the Pharisees? Do they seem happy? Do they seem whole? Again, as we go back into the story of the Magi and Herod, we could ask the same thing. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Who's happy? Who's resting? 
Who's whole? Who's human? So Jesus is being presented to us and Matthew is presenting him in a certain way so that Jesus might invite us a little bit closer to himself. And he's not doing this again impatiently, as we'll see, or obnoxiously. So if you are restless, if you're weary, if you're heavy laden, he's the one who says, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you deep Sabbath for your soul. And then to illustrate this, to bring it to a head, we get to chapter 12. And in verses 1 through 14, it's all about the Sabbath. So Jesus, who's being presented as this locus of rest, and he's gently inviting us one step closer, one step closer to him. In chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, we see these illustrations of Sabbath where the Pharisees are criticizing him and his disciples for picking up grain while they're walking on the Sabbath. And, and that's where Jesus says a couple of pretty clear things. Again, not obnoxious, but in no uncertain terms. In verse 6, he says, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. And then two verses later, he says, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So Jesus, again, is presenting himself. And the Pharisees respond in verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. So it's like Herod 2.0. So Jesus is presented. Some people are responding by coming closer and being healed. And the Pharisees can't take it, just like Herod couldn't. And so they go away and conspire how to destroy him. And that brings us, verse 14, brings us to our text this morning. It says, after the Pharisees go about and conspire how to destroy Jesus, verse 15 says, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there, and many followed him. They weren't going with the Pharisees. They were following Jesus. It doesn't tell us if they were... um, following Jesus full-on magi, like rejoicing with great joy, or if they were just like, I'm not really ready to sign the death warrant. I want to see more. I want to get a little bit closer and keep hearing and keep seeing and see if wisdom is known by her children. So some of them followed Jesus, and it says he healed them all. Everyone who came and followed Jesus were healed. They were blessed. And he ordered them not to make him known. So this is kind of like Magi 2.0. And this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. And again, as we before we get to verse 18, which is this quote from Isaiah, this is the longest Old Testament quote in Matthew. It's the center of the book physically. And again, it summarizes what's happened so far and it sets us up for what's going to happen. And here, what we're going to see is God is just trying to gather you in a little bit closer to Jesus. That's all. You can still have doubts. You can still be um, disordered and distracted and selfish. You can still be a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. You can be who you are 
all Matthew is trying to do, all Jesus is trying to do here is say, come closer. Come closer and see if you'll find more rest. Take one more step. Because this isn't the end of the story, but Jesus is simply trying to get us to move closer to him. Even though we doubt, and even though we still have all those other things, compromised things true of us, in the end, the story is that we'll have to either essentially conspire to destroy him or attach to him. That's true. But right now, Jesus isn't trying to bottom line it. He's just trying to get you to stay with him. And so here in this quote, almost like bringing a key witness at the turning point of a trial, Matthew puts Yahweh on the stand. So we've heard from Jesus. We've heard from the Pharisees. We've heard from other people. We've heard from the the crowds who are saying no one teaches like us and has authority like this and people go away rejoicing all the time after Jesus does miracles. We've heard all these different things and we've heard things and we've seen things, but now God says in verse 18, behold, my servant who I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. So in that verse 18, we see that whoever Jesus is, God is saying, I chose him. He's the one I've chosen. All of me is embodied in him. And we see that throughout the New Testament. This is God's servant. It's the one he's chosen. There are all these personal pronouns in there. This, is, this, this occurs in Matthew three times. It occurs at the baptism. It occurs at the transfiguration. And it occurs here where God identifies Jesus as his representative. So whatever he's doing, I would do if I were there. That's the first thing that we see. And then we see right after that, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. This image of God putting his spirit on Jesus, it's not unique to Jesus that God would share his spirit, right? He shares his spirit with people when they're going to build the tabernacle in the Old Testament so that these craftsmen can have... um, supernatural skill or, or God's empowerment to do this thing that God's asked them to do. God's spirit is shared with everybody who believes in Jesus and he empowers us to do whatever work he's called us to do. But here we see that in, in a special way because Jesus is this specially chosen servant, not just any other servant, not one from a multitude of servants, but this is God's servant who he has chosen and the one that he says is my beloved and that his soul is well pleased with him. His power resides on Jesus in a unique way. So all of God's power and all of God's love exists in Jesus. And then it says, he will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. So Jesus, this one who represents God, this one who embodies the love of God and the power of God, he's not yelling at you. He's not in the streets making noise. He's not waving a flag. He's not confronting the Pharisees and answering in kind. Jesus is 
quietly inviting you and me to just simply come closer to him and rest. Knowing that you're, again, not perfect. Knowing that this isn't all going to get sorted out in one day. That a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. The one who is weary and heavy laden is not going to get scolded, but is going to be brought into closer rest. So going back to the silly illustration at the beginning about camping, what if just like two more rocks could get taken out from under there? That would be better. That would be more restful. Like that might buy me 20 more minutes of sleep. You know, and I get up to like north of two hours that night of sleep. But it changes. It changes my next day. It's, it's better. And then what if the next time I go camping, like one more rock is taken out? Jesus is gently coming to you and saying, do you trust me enough to take one more step into my rest? Is there one more thing in, in, the, in, the, in your armload of things that you're carrying that are making you weary and heavy laden? Is there one of those things you can lay down? Do you trust me enough to lay one of those things down in order to intentionally add one more sinew of grip to me? Will you do that, just that, and see if your rest isn't better? That's what he's asking us. He's asking us to trust him enough to take one more step into his rest, to make room for him. There are lots of ways to do this, and we're going to continue to talk about it as we go through the year. I'll just give you one simple example from my own life. I think that the way that I've used my cell phone has corrupted my ability to, to focus on God. It's corrupted my ability to rest. It's become like this massive root that goes right down the middle of, of my sleeping bag. And it's, it's not anything intrinsically bad. It's just a waste of time. And it's, and it's a, a, a way that my brain gets wired to be distracted and uh, uh, like buzzing all the time to, to, to know things or to check things. And so I, I was talking to some friends and I just did this very simple thing. This was a simple way that I said, you know what, I want to make more room for Jesus. I want to see if I can take this one rock out from under my sleeping bag and if it will change anything. And it's that I don't use my phone an hour after I wake up. That's just that simple thing. Like I wake up, I get my coffee, I get my little um, Bible and my prayer book, and I go out on the porch and I just don't look at it for an hour. Just a little simple thing. I think that's an illustration of a simple way that we can respond. Not that specific one necessarily, but is there something you can let go of in order to intentionally draw a little bit closer to Jesus and see if you'll find deeper rest? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.